0: Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne, and here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Insindi Talks, a podcast hosted by Insindi Trust. Insindi Trust makes the connections between faith, justice, and advocacy. And today's conversation is very special to me because I'm hosting a dear friend of mine who will talk to us about her mental health journey and her faith and everything in between. So... I'll introduce to you June. Um June, Haribusana to, to Asante Sana. Thank you very much for having me. You, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> wow. Um my name is June Thuna. Um who am I? <laughs> what do you want to know? My name is June Thuna. I um I have a lot of passions and one of the main ones is that I'm passionate about mental health and mental wellness. Um, I am a psychologist. One of my trainings is as a psychologist, but I am also a trained carpenter. Um, Yeah, I also do different things. I've published a few books. Um, Yeah. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> I'm a sister, a girl. <laughs> yes. Uh, June, I think when, um, June is, is would you call yourself? Are you my church mate? What are you? <laughs> so yes, we, we go to the same church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, we do house fellowships as part of my uh, faith building together. At um, we do it at Sunday branch, and so June is a fellow brancher, and um, known each other for how many years? Times since? I'm not sure. Mm, a many. lot, it's too much. So <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think the reason we are having this conversation because was two weeks ago we sat we we were. We'd come from hospital, and
0: we sat down to have food, and we just started talking about mental health. And you, when we were talking, we felt that this conversation is an unknown conversation, especially around Christian circles. And I asked you if you would uh, privilege us by being a guest. And I'm so happy. That you say yes. So yeah. Um, so we we want to. I'd like to ask you, June. When was the first time? What What's your earliest memory, with um, a mental health issue? And what we will do in this conversation is by uh, chronicling June's journey. Then we will see the different phases of what. Um, Uh, what mental health looks like. And so we'll start from when was the first time you realized
1: there was an episode that you didn't understand? Well, the first time is rather vague because I was very young. I must have been um, maybe eight, seven or eight. And what I remember about that is, first of all, I was... I was, in every way, a normal child. I, <laughs> in every way that I can think of, if my mother didn't lie. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so I was I was very good in school. Um, since I started, I was always topping my classes. Yanni from all the way, you know, as far back as I can remember, so, because of that, I had the attention of my teachers um, so, what happened? I must have been in standard one or two when my teacher started saying something is wrong with me. Just why are you so quiet why and I remember feeling very sad, very withdrawn um. I didn't want to talk, I didn't want to play. So my teacher, I was in a very good school. It was a Catholic missionary school. Um and they were very attentive to us. So they even asked to talk to my parents because they were convinced that there was a there was something going on that was um affecting my socialization at school. So, but my mom was like, no, there's nothing, we are fine. Um, but then I don't remember how that ended. After a while, I just remember being okay, and that was it. Um, so that's the very first time I remember feeling sad and not being able to explain it. But that didn't last long. Yeah. Yeah. So that was at about seven, seven eight years, yeah? Yeah, yeah. The first ten years of your life, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're seven or seven or eight year old in standard one, grade one or two. And so mm. that's your primary, uh, primary mm. school. So mm. was there any other episode between then and high school or the next one happened in high school? Actually, what I think is worth mentioning is um I was very, at the time, earlier on in life, I don't remember, I didn't go to church a lot with my parents. My mom never used to go to church. My dad was going to uh, a Catholic church, and I remember, I can't remember what inspired it, but I didn't want to go to Catholic church anymore. I wanted to go by myself. So at that point, I started church hopping at a very young age. So I remember from around, around the same time that this was happening in school, I was also trying out churches. So I've gone to many churches. I went to Anglican. I went to BC. And for me, I was just looking for a place where I can connect with people. I loved listening to stories about God. I you know, I really got plugged into um, the church community. But then I hadn't gotten to hear that you needed to go to one specific church. So just to go to any church. So I went to those churches. Those were Corino churches. Sometimes I'd go there. Sometimes I'd go to three churches in a day. I wonder how my mom processed it. I don't know, or my dad, that I'd just walk out. And I remember one time uh, going for a crusade and I hadn't told them. And the whole night, they were the whole evening, They were looking for me among the people because it was a very crowded crusade. Because they had lost me. Of course, I didn't have a phone, so they were looking for me. Look, finally, they found me with a torch. They found me seated among people, so <laughs> and that was that. Just to explain to people for Kenyans yeah. a crusade, yeah, like an, a large open air gathering. Yes, uh, church puts up a stage or a semi permanent structure and then we, we do chat in the open for the Mass. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and I'm saying this because I think there's a, con- uh, perhaps there's a connection to what now we're going to go into, but so i got very curious about god i got very curious about god i got very fascinated by people who would talk about god by um the mysteries it sounded like he was so mysterious that he can heal he can save what's all that so from a very early age that was my go to so even throughout my mental health journey i always felt like my, the experiences I, I had had as a young child, I always went back to them, you know, but they said God can heal, but they said um, all that. So it formed a foundation for me for now, the next phase of my life. Okay. Do you remember yeah. uh, transitioning mm-hmm. when you were, you had that uh, episode in class one, too? do you?
0: Do mm-hmm. you remember
1: how you transitioned out of it? No, I don't remember right yeah all right so now you are we now in high school well just what before high was, school Uh uh-huh. actually so what happened was um when i went to when i so standard one two three four i was in a day school standard five i went to a boarding school which is actually where the story begins, I think, <laughs> properly. So when I went to boarding school, like I said, I already had that background of I leaned on, on on God a whole lot. So I went into high school and I felt like I began to have experiences I didn't understand um, that i could only explain as spiritual experiences so like having visions, seeing visions um hearing god what i was convinced was hearing god still am mm-hmm. um so and because of that i was very bold i started preaching you know preaching to my classmates and I got the attention of my teachers. I remember teachers calling me, you know, being very fascinated by the fact that I was preaching. Of course, I was I was top in my class. I was preaching very passionately. Um, I remember being able to call my classmates because somehow I <laughs> I got her following. So um it just became quite dramatic. I got her following. We would spend so much time praying and a lot of mysterious things would happen. You know people saying they're seeing angels. So we got to experience. I think our uh we were um, I don't I'm, I don't know whether many people have similar experiences, but yeah, so we used to have very um dramatic prayer meetings uh and and so you know we'd be called by teachers i used to feel like teachers would depend on me to pray for even them Um, so before i knew it i i was sort of leading um a a a a group of people parallel to the already existing christian union and in fact the christian union at the time really fought me they fought me you know they said i'm i'm going against i guess i started early going against (laughs) against mainstream church (laughs) because i remember they they tried to make sure that i didn't get any role in the christian union anything they really wanted to finish that whole car movement you know but people loved it because of how spontaneous it was how you know it was like the cool one um so yeah so i gained yourself Well, (laughs) if I say so myself, for sure. But you see now, uh, even cool in the sense of people used to feel things, you know, people used to feel. Yeah. So I don't even know whether it's like cool in the right way, but it's just that people used to feel things. People would speak in tongues. People would, you know, those things that the other guys are just like following a proper system. So anyways. Yours was more interesting. There was drama. Yeah. Yeah. And then we are kids. So you want a place where you do you don't know what to expect. It's it's a little yeah. So um yeah, and then now because I was I wasn't failing in class, teachers didn't have a reason to in fact teachers encouraged it because I remember them saying instead of making noise in class, you guys are reading the Bible. So there's no I mean it's cool, so I remember the teachers really encouraging it, um, and so when so that went on, and it was very real for me. I felt such a sense of God, you know, like I'd pray and go into a zone. I remember praying and just i guess that's what people call prophesying now it's a distant memory but praying and then saying things that were out of my conscious um like i wouldn't know consciously so um so things like those it was very intense for me i used to have very vivid dreams um yeah so yeah, so I I got the nickname preacher, which I have tried to shake off, <laughs> preacher, but said said in Kikuyu, my <laughs> local language, Mohuja, Mohuja. <laughs> so I Can have tried you to shake. that name. Huh? Are you? Think name? No, 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 guys. I have worked for a long time <laughs> to shake it off. <laughs> yeah, so um. So the how why I started with this story is because a little while before leaving primary school, I felt like, okay, so there are different ways to explain it, I'm sure, but let me just tell you what my experience was. I felt like that, what I used to feel, think was the presence of God, it left. Mm. I felt like it left. And I remember going somewhere I went to I went somewhere because it was so clear the day it left it wasn't even um at a gradual or anything I felt it's like I had a coat on and I removed it and it was no longer there so I remember going to the field our school field and um lying down on the grass and telling God, if you don't come back, I'll die, because I don't know how to live without it, Mm -hmm. Um, because I felt so abandoned. Um, Yeah, so I mean, later on, I guess there are other ways of explaining it, but that is what, that is how I saw it, that I was with God, and then he walked away, so I kept asking, is it because I sinned? did I do something so that the presence of God left me? What was that? Um, And then I went on and did my my standard eight exam. So I remember, you know, the way parents are called like to, did you go to boarding school in primary or you went in high school? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So because, kids in primary like you're still kids so what usually happens I think even in high school but they really try to pamper you um, before you do your exams so they came they try to you know they talk to you they spend time with you they allow parents to do that and then they prayed with us it was it's really it's usually really nice on that day because I was already beginning to feel I had already felt like God left. I remember when they started talking, I cried so much. And Mm -hmm. everybody assumed I was crying because I was afraid of the exam. I was not afraid of the exam, really. (laughs) I wasn't. I felt like I had worked hard enough. I I was going to ace it. There was nothing I feared about the exam. Mm -hmm. My only tears were, um, what does it matter if God already left me? Mm. So I remember I cried really like a, a whole lot. And then it even became a thing where people were trying to encourage me, um, mm. but it didn't matter. Um, so then I did my exam. Um, I didn't pass as well as I had thought. But now when I tell you what I got, I did pass. <laughs> <laughs> because you said you didn't pass as well as you thought you would when yeah. you got admission to one of the best schools in Kenya. Yeah, yeah. We always, like, June and I have a very like, <laughs> long-running history inside jokes about uh, high school. But um, before we get to high school, June, I'd like okay. to, to talk. Was there, before, on the day, uh, coming to the day that you felt God and, and God's spirit leading you, was there, like, Something that prepared you for that? Did it just happen automatically? Did you wake up and just feel it leave as is? Like, I just when you look back, do you feel yeah. sense that there was something that was coming that you didn't that you weren't aware of? No. Mm-hmm. I I didn't. I just woke up one day and it wasn't there. And I guess in the same way that yes. the people, the adults around me yeah. had decided that, you know, that God uses right. you, which is what they used to say, God is using you. So they, I didn't feel like, I don't know, maybe they didn't understand it. And so even me trying to, cause I tried to talk to them and it was even very difficult cause I just used to cry a whole lot. You know, I didn't understand what was going on. And so even they would not have understood. And you see, that's where my story began of trying to then be normal. Then just be like everybody else. Because, um, and don't even, it's very rare that I talk about this. Because my my pursuit has now to just, has been to um, just live like everybody else. What are those things you're talking about? You know, but I know how hard it is. Um anyway yeah so how hard so that <laughs> no no I was just going to say that there now as I've gotten older I've found that there are various ways of explaining what I went through mm-hmm. um, and sometimes I think that the people around me the adults around me were also not equipped to mm-hmm. understand it and explain it much as they loved me and they cared, but, um, it's very, when you, when you put, when you call things spiritual, <laughs> I think it is frowned upon to then try to understand or explain or, you know, you know, take them apart and understand what they're about. So when you label them spiritual, people just say that's a good thing and, um, don't try to explain it so i didn't have a lot of people trying to to walk with me and say what is this you're going through no it was just um you know it's a god thing nobody understands so yeah so so you 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 passed very well next one yeah (laughs) no no that's the thing actually no that's the next thing because i was going i'm going to disclaimer and say i did not fail the Mm -hmm. total so i was the first class that did the exam where you the uh the total marks were 500 Mm -hmm. so everyone was aiming for above 400. Mm -hmm. i was like i was convinced that with god i was going to get at least 460. I was sure I was going to get that. I had been getting that in my school exams. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I think the highest I got was 455. So I thought that for my final exam, I'm for sure I'm going to get 460 and above. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the way they say they make your school exams harder so that your final exam, you ace it, something like that. My final exam, I got 423. Look at you listen <laughs> listen <laughs> listen so for me and everybody was like oh my god you got 423 that's so good for me that even sounded like rubber stamping that indeed god left wow. indeed god left yeah and again it was very hard for, to have this conversation because it was dismissed as but June, you passed. what are you looking for the people who got 200 i was like for me it's not just about the grid it's true. And in yeah. fact, yeah. the next three days, I didn't leave my room. And in fact, that is where depression, like real depression began for me. I remember having the worst nightmares. In fact, all I remember are the nightmares, the strange dreams I had. Because I have, I don't have um clear recollection of what happened after that. It's like yeah. the world became a blur. And what I was trying to explain was this is not about the greed because life has no meaning if God left, because clearly He left. He doesn't talk to me anymore. I don't see, I don't experience Him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to high school, <laughs> it's even hard for me to talk about that without getting emotional because. I couldn't experience um, joy anymore. Over the years, I've tried to come up with words to try and explain what that darkness feels like. When people say that the sun stops shining, mm-hmm. it doesn't even feel like a figure of speech when you're in that state. Yeah. Everything does feel gray. I... I had no sense of hope whatsoever and I've kept all my journals from from but way back then I have all my journals from I think from form 1 up to today um so and I remember all I used to say is just come back don't give me anything don't even I don't care about this school I don't just come back to me <laughs> And so I felt very punished by God for allowing me to go through that. And that is when I started seriously contemplating ending my own life. And it was compounded by the fact that nobody could understand it. So if you say, you know, like when when people say, um, when someone comes to you and says they're depressed, people usually ask what's going on and then sometimes they'll tell you a story then you're like oh my goodness I can understand I didn't have that kind of a story where someone will say oh my goodness you've been through so much like I, I didn't have you know um so I used to pray some of my journals I've written I wish you had given me a sickness mm. a sickness that a doctor can see and say you really are sick yeah because um, at some point I did get sick Um, Like I was having um, um, pain, like in my stomach, headaches, of course. But, you know, those are stress-related. So I'd go to the doctor. The doctor would say, um, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with you. Um, But even the doctor, I went to Kikuyu Hospital, and even he said, uh, you're really stressed, you know, because I was um yeah so that that was really difficult i I remember at one point i now these memories some of them i I am even told because I forget when it's very intense my my brain shuts some of those you know selective amnesia, but I remember I was found behind one of our halls, um crying like. Very hysterical, crying and saying I want to die. And then they took me, I don't know, took me where, I can't remember exactly. I just remember after that, my mom was called and um, so... I still felt like people were not listening to me because even when she was called, they were assuming it's the pressure of school. I was in a very competitive school. So the assumption was I was feeling under pressure because of the academic work or something. And that wasn't it. So um, so they told her, if you you need to, they thought that maybe my folks were also pressuring me to perform well that wasn't it at all. So they told them, in fact, I remember one of those counselors said, I've only dealt with three such cases in my life. And two out of those three ended up committing suicide. Um, and so then after that, um, I was even, I, I was, <laughs> I think my case was too complicated for the counselor. So I was sent to the chaplain. <laughs> I'm a chaplain, I still remember how, and that's the thing, for a long time, I was frustrated with them, the people who tried to help me and were not able to, because when I'd come in, you know, she was very proper with her collar, you know, what is a Presbyterian? And so she'd look at me and she'd feel for me because I was in a very desperate place. I'd walk in and just start crying and she'd pray She'd pray and pray and pray and tell me go to class. So it got to a place where some mornings I couldn't go to class before I went to her. And I didn't say anything, I'd just walk in and then she'd pray and then I'd go to class. We'd cry, we'd cry and she would cry, I mean, she was very empathetic. Only I don't know that she knew what to tell me. Um, yeah, I don't think she, she would have, I don't think she, she knew what to say, so she just prayed. Um. Yeah. And um, what was your relationship with mm-hmm.
0: yourself and your peers at that time when you are experiencing your, the darkness? Mm-hmm. The episodes. How was
1: it for you socially uh, in that space? <laughs> So what I did was I withdrew a lot. So what helped was that in high school, they didn't know who I was before. So my withdrawing looked like it's just her personality. Up to today, they are very surprised that I even talk. (laughs) Because I really withdrew, yeah. (laughs) Right? They're like, oh, you mean June, the quiet one? No, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, so I withdrew a lot. And um, because I was always, and sometimes I'd feel so overwhelmed that I needed to talk to somebody. So once in a while, I'd open up to someone. Yeah. Um, And I remember at every point, maybe every year, I'd have someone that I... I try to talk to, but I I, go, I think I got to a place where I wasn't even talking much. Yeah. I was just crying a lot. So um, I remember taking breaks, like during lessons, I'd walk out and go to the washroom to just cry. So at some point it stopped being about what it was earlier. I was like, okay, God, so you left me, but please make me normal so that I'm not drowning in sadness. Now it's now I feel like the sadness took on a life of its own so that it's not even, it felt like now it's not even about the main issue. It's just sadness that will not go away. So I didn't have, I didn't have, and then also because I, I still was hoping that God will help me. So I quickly plugged into the Christian union and because of how desperate I was, I was going for every single meeting. And usually that's the criteria they use for selecting their leaders. <laughs> so I ended up becoming the secretary of the Christian union. Um, yeah. And then I also noticed that, um, I didn't want to go through i mean our Christian union was very lively. We used to have all these gigs on in the during the weekends, so what I'd try to do was to not um participate fully in the gigs because if I got myself excited, then the following day the the law would be devastating. so I'd try not to go for like those challenge like even if I participate in challenge weekends or or those you know like um musicians coming to school like had would pull back so that I don't get myself excited so that also and made me managing, like even you're managing yeah. yourself and you're managing your yeah because you know yeah that tomorrow when all goes yeah down, you're going to yeah be in the place. yeah yeah so I go on yes so um i was always wondering about um how to heal myself that became my primary concern because i felt like nobody was going to i, I had tried um my folks were not understanding as much as they cared they didn't know what to do um it felt like they were very helpless mom was constantly praying and fasting Especially when now the the story of suicide um, was was came up as an issue with the counselor. I didn't tell her, but the counselor told her, the school counselor. Um, So, had you told the school counselor that you were contemplating suicide, or how did that? No, but because of how I was found. Do you remember when I told you I was found somewhere saying that I want to do it? then now they took me to i honestly don't remember how that story went it's it's blurred in my mind but that's what they told me that they i think they took me to a room and then they told her i don't know whether she came it's mm. i don't remember the details um, all i just all i remember was is the the pain that was so bad I really, I feel like if I felt that pain today, I would still contemplate suicide. Mm-hmm. It was, it was overwhelming. Anyway, so, so when um, I, I, I mean, I, I kept trying, and I remember one time in bed, um, going through that pain. Yani, it's so clear in my mind. I was, I was on the top bank. It was around midnight. I was crying like a baby and trying to muffle the cries because, I mean, it's a dormitory, so you don't want people to hear. And I remember swearing to God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I said, if you heal me, I promise you I will not let anybody suffering the same way Mm -hmm. um, come to me and not help them in every way I can. Mm -hmm. You know, I I will do everything I can because I just thought, I think at that point, even though the pain was a lot, I started to think maybe there is purpose in it. Maybe you have a plan. And um, so around that time, okay, now I don't remember clearly. It, yeah, so it was around that time. We used to have these uh, sessions. We'd call talks. After you've done your exams, they'd call um, speakers, come and talk to you about drugs, about HIV. About, and we used to be so bored <laughs> so yeah, bored know. so yeah, we carry time. oh my god and hiv and i don't know what so we'd carry people were are so um it was so funny so people would carry pillows <laughs> pillows and what's up but you just go ready to sleep but then this one, so because it, it would be rare for somebody to give you a fresh perspective on HIV, we just feel like they'll tell you how you get it, how to avoid it, how to. Like, then they'll show those bad pictures. Remember those pictures? Yes, oh yes. And smoking, you know, the yes. one for smoking where you have like ugly organs. Yes. So nobody cared. I think people just became desensitized. It's like, ah, finish up, we'll be done. But this particular one, they brought someone to talk about, um, I don't even remember, I think they were just telling us their life story. I don't know what the context was. And one of the things they talked about was how they suffered with suicidal thoughts. And then they they went into details about, now that caught my attention because I really wanted to do it. So, and then they talked about um, how they had planned to do it. They tried to, I think to to drive off a bridge then something happened then they tried then they said that the final attempt was with a certain combination of drugs Mm. and they said the names of the drugs and what did i do (laughs) no i didn't buy but i wrote it down i mean we were in boarding school so i was waiting i was like this is what i'm going to do now i have a plan Mm. which is specifically why i would not uh, in public talk about exactly how I have thought of doing it and how I have tried. Yeah. I realized that it can it can work against, you know, some people. Yeah. So so now I was sure. And he said they are over-the-counter drugs, the yeah. whole combination. I was giving too much information. Right? And I don't even think he realized it because he was yeah. the principal of a high school. So I would have thought that he would know better anyway. So... Um, I went back home and I decided that that's what I was going to do um, and this was in so this this is after so I finished high school after that talk then I was going home for goods you know mm-hmm. now to join university so around that time I I got a job and stuff so I had a bit of money to you know to buy for myself the drugs. Um, and I remember I joined a church. We have a mutual friend, Mark introduced me to a church, you know, and so I'd go, um, and, but I wasn't known. I mean, I was very quiet, By that time I feel like that had become my, like my temperament. (laughs) So I was a very quiet person. I never used to talk because that's all I was thinking about. My whole life was consumed with my mind is my enemy, how do I fix it? And if I can't fix it, I'm gonna kill myself because I can't live like this. Mm. So I remember going for uh, one time, I'm in bed, it was a Saturday night. I remember so clearly it was a Saturday night. One of the things I used to do as a way to pass time, whether I was feeling overwhelmingly sad or not, I'd be online checking out how people ended their lives, what types of suicide notes they wrote, how they managed their families before, how they, and that would make, hmm? was this, this was during high school still? Or after? Uh, so during high school, I'd think about it, but I didn't have a phone, so I couldn't Google stuff. Yeah. So immediately after high school, I got a phone. And now, so during high school, I'd write about it a lot, which is actually how my mom found out, because mm-hmm. part of what she found out, because she saw my journals. But then immediately I finished high school, I got a phone and then I got a, a job so now I could I could google so one of my way my pastimes you know like the way I don't know what kids go and learn to look at so my thing was mostly the suicide stuff so one time I was feeling really bad and so overwhelmed that I decided that now I'm going to do Uh it I've tried I've read every book I can find on how to improve my mental health. I'm not able to. So I decided I was going to do it. And now I had a plan because I had listened to, to this guy. Um, So I went to bed and I remember I told God that, um, I want to do it tomorrow and I'm ready, but I'm going to give this one last chance, um, So I'll go to church tomorrow. It was around 2 a.m. when I was having this prayer, when I was making this prayer. So I said, I will go to church tomorrow. And if you want me to, to leave, then communicate hope to me in a way that you know I will not miss it don't be vague because those days i used to be very angry with god don't be vague don't you know don't be vague don't make it very specific to me so that i know you want me to live and i don't even want you to tell me the details of, uh, of uh of what my life will look like or anything i just want you to tell me that there is hope ahead uh so i went to church but i was very ready in fact i was going to church and then later on i was going to meet up with my friends um, so I go to church. The pastor says nothing. I don't even remember anything about the sermon. I just remember it was nothing specific about what I had asked God. Yeah. so immediately we stood up to leave. I started crying because it dawned on me that even God was rubber stamping my decision, yeah. and that I was very convinced of that. so I started walking out. It was in the um it was in town, the big building k i c c so I'm walking out, I go towards the gate and someone comes running after me. I'm not a known person in this church. They just know my name because it's a small church, but they don't know me. So a guy comes running after me. He's shaking, he's calling out my name. And then, you know, so runs up to me after me, I had already reached the gate. Then he says, you know, June, as you are praying today, um, God kept telling me to tell you something and I don't know what it means to you but he just told me to tell you hope. Um, and then I was stunned. And then he said, and then that Bible verse, uh, is it Job fourteen seven, that says if a, if a tree is cut down, though uh, the stamp remains, it will sprout again. I mean, if a tree is cut down, as long as the stamp remains, it will sprout again. So he was saying this and he was shaking. I think part of it was you know you don't walk up to a stranger and tell them something like that. <laughs> and then I wasn't giving him feedback because I was <laughs> <laughs> cuz I was in such a state. So I just stood there and looked at him. Yeah. And um and then he he walked away. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't give feedback, so he walked away, so he walked wow. away, and I, I went to my went way. A message from God. <laughs> 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 no, I do not I'm like, let God go and give you your pat on the back, because <laughs> now, because now I, I, you, you have to remember that I also had a bit of bile with church because yeah. of, the experiences I had had. So I thought, I'm not going to give you feedback. Lest, less a way like I'll trace this down to you found this somehow. I don't know how you, you know, so like I read my journal. somehow. Yeah, like maybe. So I don't want to give you that feedback. So I, I went on, I cried the whole way, but I kept thinking, nobody knew my thoughts nobody knew, nobody knew what I had been and it was just the last night, so how would he have accessed my journals? And to be honest, though I have gone through that, um, that very powerful desire to end it after that, because yeah. of that story, mm-hmm. it has, it makes me hesitate, yeah. I've had two other times where I almost did it. But when I remember that and I remember the fact that nobody could have told him and I remember the prayer I prayed, I just think then there must be a reason. I don't get it, but there must be a reason. Yeah. All right. Cool. So we've
0: I think we've transitioned from high school now. It's yes. Joined the workforce.
1: Yeah. Um that's between now. 20 and 30? Well, no, college, because that was me joining before going to college.
0: Before going to college. But also there was instances where, because now in college you were away from home. Yes. Was there anything that happened while in college or?
1: college? Yeah, yeah. College was, I mean, college I relaxed because yeah. I thought now I need to figure it out by myself. So if it's pressure for school, I didn't put pressure on myself to work too hard. I didn't fail. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> I didn't. Also, because I was doing something that I was very curious about because I chose to do psychology. Yeah. And in fact, along the way, I started getting frustrated because I kept wondering is there no current research based in Africa? Why is everything we are studying sounding so foreign? So that really frustrated me in school. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'd do my reading. I, I didn't attend many of the classes. I, I focused on myself. I tried to be happy. So, um, so your mom is going to listen to this. And she's like, yeah. you went to college. And didn't <laughs> I remember one time a lecturer called me and said, June, will you just attend my class? Because all the lecturers, in fact, let me tell you, one time I went to, I went to, to hand in a, a report because I used to have people like or in class who are logged in, like properly plugged into school. So when there's an assignment, they send me a text, send me a text. So they sent me a text. I forgot to hand in the, the report on time. So, the day I go to hand in, I go to the uh, the lecturer's secretary's desk and hand in the assignment. And then I say, I'm looking for Mr. So and so. Is this, um, I wanted to hand in this assignment. He says, You don't even know my name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't know my face. You don't know me. <laughs> like, is this the right place to hand in? But, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so I could, uh, it's possible that I looked like I was not serious with life, which is fine because I felt like I knew what I was going for. I just wanted to, I wanted to see whether I can find um, wellness, mental wellness.
0: Singi is a Swahili Word Meaning Foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89.14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website, www.musingitrust.org, follow us on all our social media handles, at Musingitrust or email us on info at Musingitrust.org. Now when I
1: got to fourth year, Somehow it came back in full force. I was unable to handle it again. You know, because before that, I was just, you know, I somehow managed to get through life. Um, I mean, campus, university was entertaining. I had, so I was trying to not think too much about it, but it was always here. It was always um, the back of mind. Yeah, and it's like when you're held hostage, even if you're out there having fun, you know your captor is there, so <laughs> there's the, you're not free. So when I got to Fortier, it became so bad. I remember that, was, and then now the problem was I used to live alone. Um, I lived alone. So I remember locking myself in my room for days, not showering, not going to buy food. So I wasn't eating, not um, not opening my curtains or my windows for a long time. I don't remember how long it was. And I remember one of my friends uh, would come, would come for a few minutes every day and not talk because I also wasn't talking to anybody. And she'd come bring me fruits and then open the windows and um, and and you know, draw the curtain, and then um, just sit there. for I, I really still remember that as one of the most special things anybody has ever done for me. Just sit there, not talk to me, not ask me questions, not even tell me to shower. And then she'd walk out. Um, and then I'd pull back the curtains, close the windows. <laughs> and then if I wanted to add each the fruits. then they'd be back there the following day. And then at one point, um, she and another friend of mine Decided to okay. No, I'll come back to that. So because of that, I went to see a lecturer and told a lecturer. I went to see them and tell them I haven't been coming to class. Cause was the one of the few classes that I'd attend because it was abnormal psychology and she taught it really well. So I told her I haven't been coming to class because I'm not feeling well. But before I even told her the story, she told me, "Junior, I'm not okay, and I want to send you somewhere." So she gave me a card. Of um, a psychiatrist in Eldoret. I my school was in Eldoret town, you know, far from Nairobi. So I went to see the psychiatrist, and I I told him my story, and he listened. I don't think I had ever had that experience of telling my story and somebody listening to me and believing me and taking me seriously without quickly jumping to. Um, you know, encouraging words, because <laughs> people usually try so quickly to encourage you before they even listen. So he really listened to me and he said, um, he said he thought I have bipolar type one, um, which is also called cyclothemia and uh, prescribed drugs. And uh, and i remember going back i bought the drugs and then i went back even before i took the drugs i really cried because i kept thinking it wasn't in my head it's a real thing because i was always worried about I mean, and I heard it from many people, you know, June, encourage yourself in the Lord. You know, June, don't let, don't, uh, don't, I mean, there are so many Bible verses, you know, don't let your heart be downcast, don't. And I thought, if I could, I would. And so sometimes you walk around feeling so guilty for feeling the way you're feeling. Um, So I felt like when he listened to me, um, he understood the powerlessness I was going through. And so around that time is when my friends also came and said, they're going to be praying and fasting um, for me. So they prayed and they fasted. And um, just because of that, I felt like that was so precious that they did that for me. And I, I think that was the first time because, you know, after I, I tried to explain myself in high school and I wasn't understood, I stopped. Mm-hmm. So this was now the first time I was trying to explain in high, in college, what I was going through. And I was happy that for the first time, someone listened, you know, a few people listened. Um, Yeah. So
0: I remember like two weeks ago when when we were talking about this and you were saying how, how important it is for for it to be named. What it Mm. is, the when you go to a place and as you're saying, it's not no lo it's no longer uh guard up your loins, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's no longer we pray for you, it's no longer Jesus paid it all, it's no longer, mm-hmm. but it is this is X with a therapy you know. Mm-hmm. Like what that meant for you. And I'm also realizing the impact of friends who <clears throat> just come and sit and, you know, like in Job,
1: how mm. the
0: friends just sat with you. Yeah. And and the importance of um, of sitting with people
1: when mm. you don't understand the pain, yeah. when you've not experienced that pain. You never understand. But that,
0: yeah, yeah, I remember that, that there's the place for friendships and then there's a place for the doctor and then there's there's
1: letting those two worlds serve you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can go on. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I was always conflicted about, you know, one of the <laughs> one of the things people say now about depression and, you know, they say, is this a modern thing? Is this modern? Is it like, why are we, why are we, um, why is it that so many people are claiming to have all these diseases now? Were they always there, you know, in African societies? And so, and I I used to agree and say even I also don't know. However, um, it's very hard to argue with somebody's experience. It's very hard to argue even with my experience, you know. So I say, I don't understand. I don't know whether it's new. I don't know. You know, like that person who was healed by Jesus and went back saying, I don't know what happened. I don't even know the guy. I just know. <laughs> I was blind and now I see. So we don't ask me questions. <laughs> yeah. I really liked that story because I, I also used to say, I don't know. In fact, I don't know whether it's bipolar. I don't know whether it's that I, or at least for a long time I didn't. I don't know whether it's bipolar. I don't know whether it's a spiritual thing I went through because I also tried a lot to look for people who had similar experiences. like So I don't know what it is. I just know that i am not well yeah and we can't dismiss it because if because clearly like now when i talk to people I realize it's not normal for you to wake up every day and think will i kill myself today or not Mm. that cannot be your daily morning conversation like your morning routine which it and it has been mine for many years you know for many years i didn't know another way to live or you're constantly telling yourself maybe live until this time until this time you're trying to convince yourself that um that this episode will go away or will pass um yeah, so college was like that. I had, and you see, the thing is, something else that I think is worth noting is that it wasn't written on my face. Mm, yes. It wasn't written on my face. Yeah. Many people who know me would be very surprised to hear me talking like this mm. because the only time that, I mean, even in high school, the thing was that I was quiet, not mm. that I was sad. Yeah, I was quiet. So people would would say, you know, June, the quiet one. Um, unless I let you in, I don't think there's a better mask than laughter, because mm-hmm. I laugh a lot. You know, I laugh a lot, and and um, I'll have a good time. And sometimes it's not even that the laughter is not genuine. It's like what I'm saying. You're laughing, then you turn like, then you turn around, and your captor is still waiting. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, you know, the way you laugh and then the very ending of your laughter is that, uh, is mm-hmm. sadness. Yes. Yeah, it's this, yeah, there's sadness. So it's not that actually the laughter was fake. And so I laugh a lot. I have tried, you know, exercise and all these things to try and feel better. But, um, yeah. And I think one thing that really taught me in my in our friendship And you remember when we were having lunch and we 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 actually had come from just laughing like yeah serious stupid intense fun laughing yeah and then when you were taking me to the basket of mm-hmm. whom your face has changed mm-hmm. you remember that conversation yeah I remember like, I remember and you were like this is me. This yeah. is the beauty of my life. That you and yeah. I hadn't known that. That was the first time I was yeah. able to catch it because me and you can laugh or nothing for two hours. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. If you're not, if you're not. It's difficult to know when someone mm. is a jolly person mm. when to that there is something else going on, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. So are we, we, are, we are now we are in college. Yeah. College, your dad knows college. Did yeah. you end up taking the drugs, the meds? I what, did. What I did. Thing? And How I hated thing? every minute of them. Yeah. <laughs> I hated yeah. it. Oh, my God. The only thing I loved about that drug is because most people take it and yeah. put on weight. I took it and my appetite, yeah. I mean, already I was struggling with appetite before the drug. But when I took it, now I wasn't feeling as sad. But I also wasn't feeling like eating. So my weight was just going. <laughs> so that was bad. <laughs> but, but the problem with yeah. and maybe I refused to take them long enough for me to get used to them, but I hated the way um, I, it's like they built a ceiling and I, and raised my floor. So I couldn't go low. It felt very artificial that I wasn't able to go low. However, I wasn't also able to laugh. You see, there I'm saying you can laugh and then the end of it is still sadness. But then I couldn't even laugh like that. Mm -hmm. Like it took away, it felt like for me to not feel sad, I have to also sacrifice a certain level of joy. That's how it felt. It felt like it was controlling me so much. Um, and then also the other side effects a constant buzzing in my ear. Um, I, I, oh my God, I hated feeling controlled like that. But then I would tell myself that this is still better than, than being depressed. So I convinced myself into taking them for a while but you see I was also going to church my relationship with the church is very complicated so the place I was at it wasn't even believed that those are real things yeah so um when I tried to talk to one of my mentors I had a one of my mentors those days who I also never used to tell a lot about this whole sadness journey this whole depression we just talk about Bible stuff so they want the one I the t- once I tried to open up about how I'm finding a solution it didn't feel like you know you just feel like they're not pro <laughs> mental health is very frowned upon like in the church circles it felt like you 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 know you pray you read the Bible um, you're letting the devil use you. Right. Yeah, it sounds like a like a God versus the devil. Let's pray. So I was very easily convinced, and I stopped. I stopped taking the drugs, um, and I went. I went back to normal. God has been yes, yeah, and I feel like the freedom I have found. <laughs> I was telling you on that day we were having lunch. The freedom I have found has. Has been um, directly correlated, uh, it directly correlates to my separation from what I knew to be church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like feeling like questioning the things I thought I knew about God, and actually for me, even stopping to stopping that daily uh, Sunday service attendance because that just reinforces those things I. You know i used to believe then now i can question things and i feel like i've found freedom anyway yeah <laughs> that can be very controversial but <laughs> but there we go so yeah so i left um i i by the time now i had quit the drugs and all that i left college and i joined uh, employment, well well, it took a year. I, I went through a year of not being employed and doing social work and stuff. Then I got employed and it was great. Um, great as in it was not overpowering. It has never been something that left. It's just that sometimes it doesn't control me as much. I'm able to live a relatively normal life. So until at some point it hit again and I was at work and that's when I knew I absolutely have to find a solution because now in the workplace, there's no room for go and see the chaplain. You either deliver or you deliver or you go home. <laughs> was, this bo- when, was this when your boss was marked? When- no, 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 no. Now I was working at KPMG and I was, um, I, I, when I got in, I was, doing well i was learning there's a lot of learning it's a very exciting environment and i loved it and i could keep all those other things you know in the back seats and i I was able to you know make a few friends you know and just you know get through it but when that thing hit (laughs) it just wrecked havoc i was in fact i remember my boss saying you are doing so well what happened I don't understand. And then I remember with tears in my eyes, which in the corporate world, you don't go crying. I don't even know. (laughs) You don't go crying for nothing. So with tears in my eyes, I said, I'm not fine. I'm not doing well. Um, And I'm sorry I wasn't able to deliver because she was complaining about a certain job. And not being fine is from simple things. You know, I hear people explaining, I don't know whether it's easy for a a person who has not been through it to understand. So like when it hits, I'm not able to, you know, get out of bed in the morning. That becomes like difficult. Pick out something to wear. And this is not, oh my God, I don't have clothes. Not like that. (laughs) Not like that. Not like that. Just any decision feels like such a monumental task so now imagine when i have to go into the office and make so many small decisions quickly so my pace first of all slows down dramatically because i'm having to make all these decisions i'm having to take breaks to go and cry for nothing i'm having to (laughs) Yeah. So eventually, um, I wasn't able to stay. Well, something happened, and our department shut down, and we all had to leave. But if I had continued staying, it would have been very difficult to stay. Mm-hmm. If I had continued working there, yeah. So after that, it just I realized that this is going to run my life mm-hmm. if I don't fix it, and I didn't know how to fix it. And and by this. This would be around 2015, 2015? 2014, 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, no, 2014, 2015. Okay. Yeah. So you take, okay, you left the formal employment, and then mm-hmm. afterwards, what happens in the next chapter? So... And- sorry before we get to that maybe we can Mm -hmm. talk about Mm -hmm. employment the place Mm -hmm. of employment and mental health oh yeah what what do you what do you think is that what's the need for for you know the the HR person Mm -hmm. what's the and especially for firms that are very busy like MGN. yeah yeah What's the need for awareness on mental health issues? Wow. Yeah. Cause you know, that's the thing. Like when someone gets sick, you see the point of the organization is business. Mm -hmm. So, and business, it means people because you need the people to be productive. Mm -hmm. So usually when someone breaks a leg, because we know the talent we hired, we support them to get well and then they get back to work. Mental health doesn't work like that for in many cases. So um, when someone suffers, it just sounds like there's a lot less grace. In the corporate world, a lot less resources are allocated to um, assisting people to get back on their feet. Because, I mean, there are many cases, and I saw many cases of people going through divorce, and so they are a a bit less productive. And because those ones are, you know, they're treated as deal with your stories, then you come, like, don't bring your stories. Yeah. Um, I thought while I was there, my thinking was maybe this is where we need um, like a psychologist on board or to have to have uh, not even probably not even on board, but have a company that you are affiliated to where people can and just the, can go and people can go and see, but also just a general environment where we encourage um people to be open about their mental health, because sometimes it's just as simple as going to your boss and saying, you know, these things are going on um, so so that they are in the know, so that they are in the know, because people go through a lot, and it's, it's not that they are any less intelligent or any less um, devoted to the organization. It's just that you can't separate the human from i mean the work that they are doing from who they are at a personal level so i feel like some work could be done so one of my bosses to be, you know which i found very interesting one of my bosses before we left um asked me to have that conversation with him but not so much about myself but about how we can apply my understanding of psychology and my training into the uh, the organization, to our department. And I thought that was very interesting. So of course there are people, um, sometimes we, the corporate world is cutthroat, yes but there are people that are trying to make a difference. And I felt like that was very inspiring. Yeah, so we were talking about how to match different personalities with different, with specific roles, how to, uh, what different personalities need and what different types of people need for them to thrive. Because some of it is a lot of desk work, are there people who we can give jobs that, are, uh, that involve a bit of creativity? Just all that, because it's not just about helping the depressed person. It's about helping everybody thrive mentally while they're in that organization. So there are people who they're writing reports and doing the, you know, the technical work, but maybe they're also very creative and a bit of creative work would enhance their other roles. So doing such things, I don't think it's a simple solution you know, because sometimes we assume just seeing a therapist will help, not necessarily. I actually think that, you know, um, yeah, so th- seeing a therapist may not be the only way to solve that problem. It's a, it's a bit of a complicated problem because our minds are very complicated and we're all dynamic people, but um, those are conversations that should happen. Um, just And I mean, even the organization would benefit because everybody would become a whole lot more productive. And, and was this um, also the time that you were busy uh, planning for hikes? And oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one of my ways, yes. That was one of my ways because I thought um, I want to live a much more active life. So I put together a group, and uh, my friend and I did, and we started... Hiking hiking we'd hike uh, a hill or a mountain every every month yeah mm-hmm. so that was also a way of helping you cope mhm and course, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything I've done, just about everything, you can trace back to me trying to help myself yeah. <laughs> with my mentors. Really no, no. <laughs> I'm helping you hike to lose some weight. No. Yes. I really like I feel like in fact I was thinking the other day, it's like that has been the main thread of my life. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. yeah. Cool. So we've left. Um, formal full time employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when Yes, I left in 2015, May. May what's mm-hmm. the next phase of your life like at that one? Okay. So this is the one that I feel most people know. <laughs> 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 like how don't I know, day. I feel yeah. like I feel all the others, everyone just says, oh, I don't know. Like, all that is, this is the one people know. This is the one my, you know, Your I, I awesome. wish was different, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> yeah. So in May, I left employment and I, I don't even think I was May very worried. May 2016? No, 2015, 2015. Yes. I joined in 2012. I left in 2015. So... I left in me. And then um, in, I, I, I don't remember being very worried about leaving employment because of that episode I had had. So I was actually welcoming the break and I felt like I had gained um, a bit of experience. So it would not be that difficult to go into another organization or just try to do something else. I wasn't, I was more sorry. I was more relieved than I was worried that I was, you know, out of a job. And then, um, so I started sending out CVs. I had a a few interviews. Actually, I only had one or two. Um, But as I was, I remember as I was waiting for feedback um, from one of the directors I had met, Uh, the only one I got to meet actually. I don't remember, but I think there were like one or two. So when I I was waiting for feedback from one of them and then my mom calls me, I was at a friend's house and said, you know, she'd been having a flu, a flu for a long time. They had said the previous year, they had said it was pneumonia. So she had been going to the doctors a while. So she calls me and says, um, you know, I've gone to the doctor. They had been running tests and a certain doctor had said, you need a lot more tests because this is this doesn't look like pneumonia anymore. We don't know what's going on. So she calls me and says, you know, these people are saying that, and then she hesitated and said, no, let's just talk at home. I told her, I just tell me now. <laughs> then she says, they're telling me that it's cancer. I didn't even believe it because cancer doesn't happen to people like us. <laughs> You know, the way, like, you the know, I had, I didn't even know anybody personally who had cancer. I had heard of it as some. Um, so I just said, uh, okay, we'll talk to someone else. I was, I don't think I was panicked enough because I just thought we just need another doctor to rule it out. What is that? What kind of cancer? Then she said leukemia. Mm-hmm. And then, so the following week we went and got another doctor's opinion And in fact, it was so bad when she went to do the test because she had been sent by another doctor to a certain lab. When the lab guys did the test and got the results, they told her, we even need to call your doctor and tell them the results now so that they tell us whether they want us to run another test because it is serious. (laughs) So, um so yeah, so we got to see the other doctor, but the other doctor was relaxed. She told us, listen, if I was told to choose a cancer, this is the one I would choose. Wow. Because, I know, because she said, this is the easiest to manage. This is the, so you see, the nurse now, we're like, oh, okay. okay, this is like the flu of cancers. Like, it's the, <laughs> it's the baby cancer. So we said, oh, this is amazing, so. Um, so we, we didn't, we didn't, we stopped panicking. And then she said that, in fact, the drugs are not, it's not an IV kind of chemo. It's tab, it's uh capsules. So she was given the capsules and we were okay. You know, so it, we stopped panicking. We went home. She took the drugs week one. Um, and then the second week, the third week, she started, like having symptoms, like she was swelling. And and she she just started looking weird. And then uh, I was with her because now I didn't have a job. I was with her and my little sister at home. Then she started collapsing. She said collapsing, she collapsed once, twice. Anyway, so we went to hospital, we discovered, uh, we rushed her to hospital. By the time we got there, she was completely unconscious. She was in a coma. Um, It turns out that yes, she has the baby of cancers. Mm -hmm. It's called CLL, um, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, bodies are different. So usually it responds to certain drugs well, and people live for many years with it. I have learned that now there are many people who have it and they're fine. But she was not responding as they had expected to the drugs. So, I mean, I won't go into all the stories. It's it's been a long journey trying to find find that drug. But what was interesting was as now, as she, when she started taking the drugs, her mother, my grandmother, um had been complaining about uh, about pain, pain in her arm, pain in her armpit and all that. So one of the relatives thought, let's go to hospital. This sounds like it might be serious, more serious than Because she had been complaining for a while, but she just dismisses it and says, oh, I'm feeling a bit of pain. So they went to hospital and found out that she also had cancer stage. They said it was stage two. And they were saying it's very the lamp is very close to the skin. Oh, now her is so scary. They were saying we need to do surgery yesterday. Mm-hmm. But by this time, we had heard all these stories about surgeries happening in Kenya, and then you know not, them not going very well. So we opted to go to India. I had just left my job. Nobody else was available to go with her. So I quickly volunteered and went to India. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I took her to India, left my mom. I figured the ones who are here, the relatives and my dad, will be able to take care of her while I'm in India. Um, I thought I'd go for about a month or two. Uh, that's what They had said maximum three months. It ended up being 10 months. Uh, and I feel like that is because of how intense the experience in India was, my mask started wearing off. Like Now it became harder for me to manage that and still have a mask on because I had lived my life wearing a mask so that people don't see the ugliness and the sadness and the darkness. And, and, you know, the way myself, you were asking like my view of myself, I always, I was always convinced that nobody wants to see that darkness. And I still feel like there are a lot of things we say. There are some quotes we use that I feel don't encourage people to talk like, like, um, like, You know, people, um, I forget the specific word, but there's something like when you're, people want to be around happiness, Mm. so be happy and you will attract people. But when you're sad and gloomy, then people, you know, don't like that. So I used to, so I walked by that motto of like, people don't want to see the sadness. So when you know people are coming through to laugh laugh and be happy and you know people will be so when i was in india i was unable to to wear the mask i came back from india about 10 months later it was i had seen people dying i had i had tried to make friends and support people and because of that i had lost friends because quite a number of them died it was very traumatic i was isolated for a long time my grandmother and i it was it was torture watching her going through chemo um I came back, and then after about a year, my mom got really sick. By that time, the, she was on drugs, and she was managing. Sorry. So before we go to, to the second let's uh, episode to your mom now, needs yeah, more health, yeah. Can we mm-hmm. explore where a bit more deeply on what your mental state was while there, like. Mm-hmm. You're looking after your, so you need to understand that you're looking after your grandmother. She, mm-hmm. she's not understanding what's going on. Maybe she know this is the first time for her. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's new experiences, and then for you as a caregiver, this is your grandmother. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. alone by yourself. Your man mm-hmm. is at home and well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then um, you'll see, and then because you have uh, Jun, for those who do not know her, has this very beautiful ability to connect with people, connect with souls and so you're connecting with people who are in pain, but you're mm-hmm. also in pain yourself. What was mm-hmm. going on mentally for you mm-hmm. health wise where you was the dark episodes back, mm. uh, what were mm. you really up to in terms of mm. was there was that deep dark sadness that mm. uh, you described it as was that still mm-hmm. there oh yeah oh yeah I felt like what gave me what has always seemed to help me feel better is feeling like I'm helping somebody else. Like when I get out of myself, that's one piece of advice that I got earlier on, Mm -hmm. and that helps me a bit. So when I went to India, I even went to the extent of telling the hospital staff that when they see foreigners and mostly Africans, because it was easier to relate with Africans. So any African um, admitted to the hospital, just let me know. Because I know how it feels to be in a foreign country mm-hmm. um, you don't speak their language, they don't understand your culture and you have a sick person check the admissions and see and see <laughs> who. <laughs> Who has been admitted recently and stuff. So I connected with a lot of people. um, And what usually happens is because of the cost and the logistics, usually people just go the patient and the caregiver. So... Even the support system, you know, in Africa we take care of each other. When a person is sick, everybody is there, surrounding. So there, it's just you and your and your patient. So because of that, I ended up connecting with all these caregivers and all these patients, um, who, like, when they had bad news, before telling their people back at home, they'd call me, they'd call me and now like our network of caregivers so that we support each other, which then meant that when somebody died or somebody, somebody was close to death, they'd call, we'd call each other, you know, and then we'd be there. So on, on specifically two occasions that were, well, three, or four, there were quite a number where I had to, I I ended up sitting by the bedside of people as they were just about to breathe their last or when they, after they had just breathed their last or the doctors had just finished resuscitating them or had just called the time of death or something. And at that point, you don't think about yourself because your trauma is that you're seeing someone going but this person is losing their mother their sister their so you don't think about yourself you support the person that needs to be supported and then you go back home and then i realized during that time i was really really becoming angry with god so angry until i remember telling myself i need to forgive god <laughs> otherwise i will not be able to live my life because i was so angry you know like seeing a 21 year old medical student looking me in the eyes and telling me I know it's too late I wish I had we had caught this sooner I know it's too late and you know what they're saying that they're you know that their days are nearing or talking to people who they know for sure and you know in India I haven't had that experience here but in India they don't the doctors don't lie they don't try to manage you they just tell you as it is so walking in and, and being told that the doctor has said um i have you know so and so has eight hours to live three hours to live and then seeing people holding their bibles open begging god I, I i was unable to deal with that or seeing the pain that you see I remember two people whose whose um, patients died um, on the same day, within hours of each other, and then we went to have lunch. And you know what broke my heart was that when I saw them, what they had was not even um, – what was more powerful for me more than the grief was the relief because they were saying that the, the worst thing about cancer is not – the death for us it's the journey they walked through before they died the pain the things so i kept telling god if you're going to take them why are you letting them suffer like this why would you do that how how am i going to now sit down and think of you as a good god how does that work and one of them one of the ones i saw was a little five-year-old baby who died in so much pain, they had to induce a coma. How would you do that? So I, my, now my, and the darkness gets worse when you can't deal with God. Because how do you, I can't talk to people. I, I don't want to hear anybody praying near me. I don't want to, I kept asking God, what have I, you know, I think they call it survivor's guilt. So why am I here? I have wanted to die for all this time. You don't take me. You take the ones who people are begging you and crying for you to let them live. One of my friends who died left a three-month-old baby. And I kept telling her, just hold on, just hold on, giving her porridge. She she, you know, some of the things I don't like hearing people talking about cancer patients is implying that the people who have survived have survived because they have the will to live or because they i'm just like it's because you don't know the ones who died i know people who if i was to pick people who chose life and and were positive till the end i know them and they still died so don't tell or they didn't pray hard that they don't have more faith god just chose to do it so it's an easier conversation for me when you don't try to speak for God, let him speak for himself because um, because it's up to today, every time you know I was telling my therapist because now I see a therapist. I was telling her every time I read the Book of Psalms and the, the Book of Psalms and Job, they induce an episode. So I have to be very careful how I read them, because I feel that agony of questioning God um, and that frustration, especially Job, that frustration of people arguing with you about your questions for God. Yeah. Because my questions are legit. I'm not even questioning that. I mean, I'm a sinner, yes. I know I've done things um, and I'm not righteous but tell me about that baby. Tell me what they did for them to be in so much pain. Um, Yeah, so the episodes were there. I started having nightmares. But what was was distinctly different about that episode is that I became extremely angry. Mm -hmm. Angry, angry with God and therefore angry with everybody. I was lashing out. I didn't want to hear people encouraging me. I especially hated people praying in my presence. So I'd tell people, if you want to pray, pray for me in your closet, pray for for my mom and my grandmother in your closet. I don't want to hear it. And anyway, God doesn't listen to me because what prayer have I not prayed? And we're still here. Yeah. And, And so
0: eight months in, you're told, your your show show your grandmother can come back what yeah was that for you you
1: know to be honest and <laughs> this is not even a very good thing to say mm-hmm. but i can't say i was overjoyed my heart was too broken at that point mm-hmm. because how i mean and even the way when we came back the celebration was oh my god we prayed god has answered our prayers I'm like, I don't know because there are many prayers he didn't answer. Mm-hmm. So I even feel like that is arrogant. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do I have, cause I lost friends. So I'm happy, of course, she's my grandmother. I'm happy. I was happy that I didn't have to, To I mean, she, we came back with her in good health and good spirits. But that is as far as my happiness went. I couldn't say, now I'm happy because God answers prayers, because, oh my God, look what the Lord has done. No. What? Because <laughs> I felt like to say that also negates the prayers of the other people or it invalidates or you can't, it doesn't make sense if you can't trust it, if you can't count on it. So you then saying that if we pray, God will answer um this way no god doesn't have to answer this way so i came back rather jaded in fact i came back really 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 angry so angry that i now started feeling like it's affecting even my relationships because i just became i felt toxic i still my memory of myself during that time was that i felt toxic i felt like now the mask has come down so i can't hide my sadness I'm not able to, like, it, it feels like it takes too much energy to hide my sadness. Um, but now, on top of the sadness, you see, before I was sad and withdrawn and quiet. Now I was angry and vocal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. was this a time where you would also ask for space away from Sandra? Yes. The same time? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. So, Sunday Branch is our uh, our home church fellowship that Julie and I are a part of, and and also maybe there's there's also the guilt about people have supported you when you yes. at, I was in India, and then you come back and you don't want to be a part of them. Yeah, okay. I don't even want to talk to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: so what was that do you feel like you needed to explain yourself and then you don't have the energy and um uh, and then also knowing
1: that actually
0: mother was
1: uh-huh. there what was it ah, why well, it was so dark <laughs> it was so dark i think i quickly went from so in india though the darkness was there i didn't have Um, my grandmother also depended on me fully. It felt like my life was in my hands. I was making decisions. I was talking to the doctors. I was busy. So when I came over, um, so now the sadness became very real. So yes, there's the issue. Of um, I still need to plug in because these people have been working. Now you're fighting for your life. Because it starts out with an issue. Mm. I feel like I was just overwhelmed with anger. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I felt like I became very. I used to see myself as somebody who can accommodate people and just like, you know, just easy. But when I came back, I was so angry. I was getting very easily offended, mm-hmm. which was such a strange thing because I was like, even I don't I, I don't recognize myself as being like that—just taking offense easily, lashing out, um, um, harboring grudges. So now, I, I suppose because my most intimate relationship was with God, and I was having a you know, the mother of fights with him. So it trickled down to everybody else. Um, So much as I felt like, I felt guilty for walking away from people, Mm -hmm. I felt the more dominant feeling was I need to take care of myself because I also knew where that goes. And for sure, I, I think that's even the time, a few times I... I got carried away then, like, drinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't get into too much mischief, like, too much drug-related mischief. But I I, I remember drinking and just feeling reckless a bit yeah. for me, you know. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't at a... It didn't go too badly, especially, like, the drinking. But I remember feeling reckless, feeling like I don't care... Um feeling really angry and being sure that I wasn't going to survive it. I was sure I wasn't going to survive it. So I felt like I'm nearing the end. Um, and you know what helped me? Mm-hmm. One of the things that helped me was I decided that if I'm nearing the end and if it's this bad, then I will do only the things I want to do. I will not do things that I don't want to do because – um. Uh, yeah, because I mean it's the end anyway so I like, like creativity, I like working with my hands I enrolled in a in a carpentry school <laughs> yeah.
0: If you've been inspired, challenged and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such remember to follow us on social media at Trust share this podcast with your friends and family and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast donations can be made through paypal msingikenya at gmail.com patreon at msingikenya or through plus plus 254-792-176-030 kwaherini and thank you for joining us